Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Hope you are having a great Monday so far. Uh, If you're in the UK, um, I hope that you've been enjoying the sunshine, uh, not overheating too much. Um, I feel like I'm always starting with the weather, but (laughs) classic British. Um, But it is something that I think does have a massive impact uh, on how we feel, even if... um, we don't maybe don't think about it so much when the sun is shining it c- can be uh, a nice boost to our mood we can feel more uplifted we can feel brighter uh, when it is really hot we can feel flustered and overheating and frazzled and all of that so um i hope that you're feeling okay with it all and that your july is going well we're kind of halfway through which uh feels a bit scary um particularly for me because it feels um last year um I, I think this is something that we've mentioned briefly in passing um last year I was due to get married but obviously with covid that didn't go ahead and um we rescheduled for this year and suddenly it's here and uh, this Saturday coming I'm getting married so that's um a bit scary and sudden um but exciting so obviously um still being very mindful of, of covid even though restrictions are lifting in the UK um, but it will be nice to celebrate and to see people and and all of that. But it just feels like, where is time going? Um, and as I'm recording this, as it's coming out, the 19th of July is the day in the UK, uh, for any UK-based listeners, that all restrictions kind of legally are lifting, although there are still kind of recommendations um, around masks and, and all of that. So it's it's going to be an interesting week month um yeah to see how to see what happens to see how that goes so you may be feeling a whole load of feelings about that um you could be grateful and and excited about things opening up and getting back to a sense of normality from kind of pre-covid you may be feeling anxious you may be feeling a whole range of things and i guess My point is that whatever you're feeling is what you're feeling. And actually, there's a really interesting point that today's guest makes about our feelings and even the the ones that we maybe label as negative about the information they're giving us. So rather than quickly kind of skipping over those, uh, whatever they are, kind of checking in with what what's the kind of message, what are they telling you? So before we dive into today's conversation, I want to say a massive thank you to Natsune, who joined us last Monday, and to all of the guests uh, that we featured in the roundup. And we're now into our next kind of batch and uh, leading up to our 10th roundup. Uh, that's a little way away, but quite exciting. And we're over the 150 episodes mark. So all uh, very exciting milestones on the podcast. Uh, but today we're joined by Madeleine. This was um, a really fun conversation about kind of overwhelm, work, life, uh, feelings, um, about imposter syndrome, confidence, comfort, lots of great stuff. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and I'll be back super quickly at the end. 
Hi, everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest, Madeleine, to the podcast. So, Madeleine, welcome. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, that would be fab. Oh, my. There's so much to tell. Let's do a deep dive into when I was 15 years old. Uh, my father passed away. And since I, you know, the children's book, Madeline, to the tiger in the zoo, Madeline just said, poo, poo. Well, so did I too many times to my dad. So I was grounded a lot. And at the time that he died, I was actually grounded then. So I went around for years because people didn't address their children's feelings quite the way they do today, or at least in my part of the world, they didn't. So I went around for years thinking that he died of me until one day at the cemetery when I broke down with my mom about how all my fault it was. She said, no, honey, it wasn't you. It was work. So no surprise that today I help men and women find more hours in the day, more energy and peace of mind, more clarity and focus and freedom and fulfillment in all areas of their life without burning out. I think because of the business degree that shows on my headline, a lot of people come to me about their work. I started out in a clinical chemistry laboratory, worked for the USDA Biological Control Lab and Cardiac Catheter Research Lab. So I was um, very into sort of uh, blood and bugs at the beginning, but there was always this calling over time to um, be helpful in this other way that I'm sure is very much related to my early history. Obviously, there was nothing I could do to help my father with his work stress then. But there is so much that can be done to help people put together work and life in a way that is so much happier, healthier, and more productive than it might otherwise be. So I think I will pause there, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for that and, uh, you know, um, for, for sharing a bit of your story and what a lot of, you know, um, big stuff to hold as a as a child feeling that it was your fault initially and um, and I think sometimes it's often the way isn't it that something that touches us in childhood then kind of comes back into our, our work Almost, yeah you know it's funny um, I had a client the other day and this happens all the time it's like by the way my marriage is so much better and we didn't even talk about it. This client said to me, by the way, I'm sleeping for what feels like the first time in my life. He, he had like these very angry vocal nightmares about his parents who were highly religious and very sort of stern and oppressive with him. And he said to me, what's so interesting is, I know you knew about that, but we didn't talk about it very much. So everything is connected to everything else. And I have kind of a rule of thumb, which is in terms of peeling that onion going back into the past, I believe a lot of people like me sit there too long with people. 
And what that does is I think it strengthens the trauma connections in the brain because you're going over it and over it and over it and over it. What I like to do is go there, get what we need. Like I needed to know that um, because it's playing out at work too. And I needed to know the depth of it, but not to stay there. So he's absolutely 100% correct. We didn't talk about it very much, but it was important to know that this had happened for him and that it was affecting him now. And just by going over what was happening in his current reality, he's sleeping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, I live for that, you know, yeah. um, that people's lives sort of just up level in every area together yeah. so it isn't just in one area it's like so like there are people who get off their blood pressure medication and that's always one of those by the way I saw my doctor and we decided to take me off the medication and I'm sitting there thinking yes <laughs> love it amazing well again I guess you know what working with people around around work and and kind of staving off burnout and all of that but you know if, if our work is so all-consuming then it takes over those other areas of our life or we can't enjoy them because we've got this massive work thing in our head and we we compartmentalize all these sections of our lives but they're all our lives aren't they so warren Beatty, who's married to annette benning movie stars right said i wish i wish some Somebody other than a movie star had said this. <laughs> I wish it was an ancient philosopher, and probably there is one who said it. But in any case, said that, you know that you're successful when you can't tell whether you're working or playing. I love that. Actually, um, even though my work can be deeply sad at times, I do have that feeling about it, that I enjoy it so much that if I said to myself, I think I'm going to play for a few hours. I'd probably be doing something related to the work that I do. Just, well, especially in the pandemic when you can't go anywhere anyway. So um, I just thought that was a really wise sentence he gave us so that it's okay. It's more than okay to enjoy your work. I do have... So I have these complimentary exercises on my website. And one of them is called focus and release. What happens is, and I know that this was true for me until I learned better. It's very hard. And you could tell me whether you know what I'm talking about. It's very hard to put something down. So let's say you're working on something. And now you have to move to another activity. You have to go to another meeting or you have to leave work or you have to move from one activity to another. It's really hard to put it down. What we tend to do, it's like we have this sack of heavy rocks on our back. What we tend to do is just pile it on and carry it around all day. And then people wonder why they're so tired at the end of the day. And it's because they couldn't release what they were doing to be fully present for whatever was coming next. So all of my exercises on the website that people can just grab there are a one, one page quick and easy 
how to uh, sort of discipline the mind to put something down to be able to really be where you are. I taught a course at Harvard Medical School when I was working there called Managing Your Mind, which is my signature program. And there's a chapter on that in uh, Getting to Great, the book. And there was a woman who was in Harvard Health Publications who said to me, oh, my God, oh, my God, I went back and I found a mistake on the masthead that we would have never found. And she said it was only because of the exercises that I was doing that I got so clear and so much better focused that I could see that. And that is exactly, Hannah, what I mean by hours in the day. She saved so many hours for herself and everyone else by catching the mistake before it happened rather than after it happened. So, yeah, I was, I was thinking as you were sharing that about kind of focusing and releasing and, and like my days and cause often I'll drop something and go to something else. What I also do sometimes is I'll, I'll kind of have a plan and go like, well, I'm going to do 20 minutes on this and 20 minutes on this and, and yeah. I'll like time, like blocks of time. But sometimes yeah. if I'm really in something, I'll go, actually, I'm just going to get this done and then shift everything else rather than having to release it because I'm in that moment and I'm in the focus. And I often, you don't have the flexibility to do that. But when I do, I tend to to do that rather than, I guess, carrying it. So the older I get and the more I do this work, the more I'm convinced that life is a series of decisions we make. And if you are making that decision, if you have consulted with yourself and decided, you know, that it is better for you to complete this further than move on to the next activity, as long as that's conscious, Mm. um, I don't see any problem there. Most of what I mean is not conscious. It's the unconscious mind sort of pushing you around all day and making a mess of things and depleting all your energy and just not acting on your behalf. So I like to put us in charge of the mind instead of the mind in charge of us. So again, if that energizes you and organizes you and and produces a better outcome, sure. Awesome. <laughs> why not yeah yeah why not yeah I, I feel like a lot of the time though I am ruled by my unconscious during the day so I'd love mm-hmm. to know how we put ourselves in charge of the mind I can answer that <laughs> um I don't think your listeners can see this but you can there's a actually listeners you can go online and put in your browser hand model of the brain. So the hand model of the brain is like this in the middle. Like, so if you hold your arm up and make a fist in the middle, there is the thumb and the thumb stands for the amygdala, which is processing what's coming in from the external environment, which it often doesn't like very much and it's primed more even to pick up what it doesn't like than what it does like, although it picks up that too. 
So when that thing is going berserk and flailing around, what happens is all the fingers, which are the higher cortex, are knocked offline. So now that um, agitated part of the brain is not in connection at all with the higher part of the executive functioning part of the brain that could really be helpful. And so what we need to do is calm that thing that's crazy in the moment so that the higher brain can come back online and then the agitated part of the brain can say, I'm not sure I like what's going on here. And the higher brain can say, in so many words, or not, thank you for sharing. I got it from here. Mm-hmm. And how you calm that is one of the exercises on my website in this complimentary box. It's called Power breathing. It's otherwise known as diaphragmatic breathing or polyvagal breathing. It stimulates this polyvagal nerve, which um, calms the body and the brain and puts the higher brain back online. So you're making these decisions we're talking about from the smarter part of you, not the kind of mindless agitated part of you. So everybody go grab power breathing. Again, it's a one sheet. I otherwise call this the 30 second mindset reset. I swear it only takes 30 seconds. And what's really great about it is so you could be at a family gathering or you could be at a meeting and you start feeling tense or agitated. You could take these three breaths in this particular way and calm yourself and no one even knows you're doing it because we all have to breathe anyway. So everybody's breathing, but you're breathing in a particular way that um, kind of refines your mind so that you can, you've heard this respond instead of react. Yeah. And I'm, and it's in three breaths. So amazing. And we're absolutely listening. Yeah, we're absolutely linking the show notes so that because we've already two amazing resources you've mentioned so people can find those uh, nice and easily. Um, And you've mentioned getting to great. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about about what that is. And um, yeah, so not all that long ago, I said to myself, I have such a varied background. I don't know if I mentioned that for over 25 years I've been studying Advaita Vedanta, pre-Hindu tradition, believe it or not, in addition to a business degree, and I'm a licensed psychotherapist, so with all the psychodynamic training and mindfulness and this and this and this. So I said to myself, oh, and also my clients are also different from each other. So they're men and they're women and they're different ages and ethnicity and occupation. And I said, so what is the common denominator that's getting these people from where they are when I met them to their smile? Let's just put it in shorthand. And I reverse engineered that no matter who they are, And no matter what I'm pulling out of my toolkit from where, um, they're all going through this process. 
And you can imagine my delight when I realized that it worked into the acronym GREAT, <laughs> Very happy about that. So that is the uh, five-step process, which I'm happy to unpack for you if you would like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because now you've given us that, ooh, it's an acronym. So now we want to know what it stands for. Right. So the G is for grounding in the belief that it doesn't have to be like that and that we all have everything we need to get to a sense of great in our lives. And when I first meet people, they typically are not grounded in that belief. Mostly what they want is, can you, can you just make some of this pain stop? And it's not really, can you help me get to a great life? It's more just help me make this stop. So I hold that space because I know that they can get there. So I hold that space um, for them until they can step into and own it on their own. And then the, uh, the first line of getting to great, and it's the whole premise of everything, is a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. And that's always been true, that we wouldn't be here as a species if, or the ones of us who are here as a species are the ones who could adapt best to their environments. Always true, still true today. So if it has to be a good fit between who we are and the environments, then uh, we need to know who we are. So the R is for recognizing who we are, which is not necessarily who someone else said we should be, or even who we may have thought we were supposed to be for many years or whatever. So the, the R is for recognizing the who we are. And once we've got a better handle on what interests, values, strengths, abilities, whatever, um, make up who we are, then the E is we go exploring um, the external possibilities which may be things that you have thought of and thought, nah, that isn't going to work. That's a great idea, but I can't make that happen. Or they may be things you never even thought of. Or you might already be there and not even know it. And it's important that that get explored. Also, I have lots of clients who wind up really happy with exactly where they were when I met them, only they weren't happy there before that. So, and then I have people who move across the world, but we can't stay stuck in exploring because the mind knows that we're just daydreaming. So William James said that action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without action. So the A, after we go exploring, we have to start acting on some of that. So the A is for action. And then the T, finally, is for um, tackling the normal, natural, predictable, inherent resistance to change. What's going to be in the way as we try to transition to a different space, either internally 
and or externally in our lives. So it's the grounding, the recognizing, exploring, acting, and tackling. Amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I love it. Um, I really love exploring. I feel like I'm often stuck in exploring, to be honest, in my well, daydreaming yeah. and, uh, you know, all the options. Um, and then I try and, you know, do the action. But I really like, especially the the T, I think, that appreciating the that resistance that we might feel. And I always think it's interesting that we we often want change, but we don't like change. It's this weird, like, contradiction in humans that we're... It's expensive. Mm. You know, when you're doing what has become habitual, it doesn't take as much energy. So even if the change is positive, it's expensive. Mm. You have to to think about it. Um, Oh, so there's this wonderful study. Uh, By the way, before I get to the Yale study... I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your um, acknowledging, your knowing how easy it is to remain in the (laughs) exploring, in the dreaming. You know, wonderful things begin there. But if they stay there and you've noticed that it can be so pleasurable, Mm -hmm. I've had clients who've wanted to do good in the world and kind of made a mistake of thinking that the wanting to do it kind of absolved them of not. Mm-hmm. And it's really an awakening for them when they realize, so like they'll, they'll stay at a job where they think that the culture isn't up to their standards, but they like the money. Mm-hmm. So they'll stay there and complain bitterly about, how immoral everyone is. And I point out to them, you know, you think that you're complaining about it exalts you somehow, but you're there and you're complaining is toxic to <laughs> everyone around you. So where are you going from here? Because this is not a good place for you or anyone around you mm. to remain. So this Yale study, which I think is so important People, and tell me whether you know this too, people sometimes wait for comfort as a signal that it's okay to act. I've had colleagues even say to me, I'm just not comfortable to go there yet. I'll know when it's right because it's comfortable. Mm. No. So the (laughs) the Yale study said that When you're comfortable, the brain thinks everything's chill now. No further learning is necessary. The whole learning center of the brain rests, shuts down. And they're saying that to solve problems, to move forward, you need learning. And optimal learning is when you're 70% in your discomfort zone, which really flies in the face of this idea, you'll know it's right when you're comfortable. And a lot of people kind of already know this without the study. They're the ones who say, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing anything. So people get stuck in E, 
because it feels so good. And the thought of having to actually enact it. I can think of an example of my own. Lots of people have said that I should do online um, live videos of my weekly podcasts. Mm. By the way, if people go and grab an exercise, they'll also get a weekly podcast on Everyday Matters. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I think about it. <laughs> I haven't done one yet. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how long I've been thinking about it. And I really feel like it's this energy. It's easier to write it than to actually do a live on it. And so I know the feeling um, that we as humans have when we're about to venture to like a new land. Um, But I have some statistics on habits. According to Philippa Lally, a health psychology researcher at University College London, Mm -hmm. your side of the pond, a new habit usually takes a little more than two months 66 days to be exact. I don't know how they can come up with an exact, but. (laughs) And as much as 254 days until it's fully formed. But you can break a habit if you skip three days straight. How cool is that? So presumably, if I started doing the lives, I mean, before you started doing your podcast. Yeah. Tell me if you had a period of time, however long or short, where you were thinking, I really should do a podcast. So, yeah, so it it feels like it was quite quick because I was working with a business coach and I was doing the whole, oh, I can't have a podcast. And she asked this really powerful question, why not? I had nothing. So I started a podcast. And it's interesting you said about finding writing easier because I find talking easier than if I was trying to write stuff. So actually, I you know, I could just talk it out. And then usually it comes out okay. Whereas I overanalyze if I'm if I'm writing. But it took me a while to, to get into uh, the routine. And to start with, I was like whispering, like I've got a podcast, and I didn't tell many people. And now I'm like, yeah, I've got a podcast to to everyone. It took a while to kind of you know settle into it and maybe get a bit comfortable. Um, so here's here's a question I have for you. How much time did you spend in why it was hard or was it more a matter of just jump in and make it work somehow? Yeah. So I, I think I'd kind of thought about it and I, cause I can get stuck in that, that kind of over analysis. And I find actually my best decisions are when I've just gone, let's just go for it and figure it out. And so between seeing my coach and sort of saying okay yeah I'm gonna start a podcast and launching it probably was only a month maybe a couple of weeks because it was like all right I'm gonna do it and so then I'm gonna make it happen and actually I find that tends to work better for me if I just kind of make the decision and then run with it and figure it out rather than all the oh well what about this what about this and oh this might not work out and um I think it's really interesting you talking about comfort because I think and it's see if you agree with this that sometimes people say well I'm not confident enough but what they actually mean is like it won't be comfortable and they kind of mix those two up that confidence, so right. yeah feels comfortable which absolutely yeah and there's no reason why it should 
if you've never done it before. It kind of uh, raises the issue of that imposter syndrome that everyone talks about. Mm. And I read a wonderful article on that, which I posted on because I thought everybody should have this perspective. He said, the author, whose name I can't remember right now, but if you go to my website in the box and put imposter syndrome, you'll find it. He said, what kind of arrogance? He said, I would worry about you more if you did something new like that and didn't feel some self-doubt. He said, what kind of arrogance really would it take for you to go somewhere you never went before doing something you never did before and not question, is this going to work? And so there are lots of things that people feel like, and just to use imposter syndrome as an example, that kind of have a bad rap. They're labeled negative, but they're not. They're very normal, natural, and some of them, some of our doubts, like that example, speak well of us. Mm. So to me, there's almost no feeling that's got a balance of positive or negative. Mm. I have a favorite question, which is, is there something to be done here? So sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't, but I find that a very centering question. Mm. So you probably, whether you knew it or not, consciously ask that question. I feel like I want to do a podcast. I also feel like I don't. Is there something to be done here? Mm. And that's the action. And it's not always right to take action, but often it is. And I also um, have this idea that when a decision feels hard, it's because the risks and rewards on both sides are approximately equal. Mm. And so there are studies that people think they're supposed to spend more time on hard decisions. And actually the opposite is true. That if there was a clear right answer and you just have to go find it, it wouldn't be hard. So when they're approximately equal, the idea is, which you did with your podcast, which is pick one, either do it or don't do it. And I like to put that into this sentence. It's not the decisions we make, but what we make of the decisions once we have made them that defines our life. Oh, there's so much that we could you know, mm-hmm. talk about still, but <laughs> conscious of time, I, I feel like we could talk about all of this all day. Um, but I wonder if you have um, a final thought for us before I ask you my set questions. There's this concept of good company mm-hmm. that's one of these pre-Hindu concepts. There's even a book with that title, Good Company. And what I like about the term is that it's not just about the people. It's about the books we read, the music we listen to, uh, the food we eat. There are people now who are big into like cleaning your closets. So what, what kind of company you keep in your very own closet? And of course, the, um, the people. 
who are welcome or not in your life. And the idea would be the very finest quality that you can find and afford because some of it costs money and not everyone. And I believe that if we live by that concept, you know, how many people have um, unwelcome acquaintances in their lives who are not really good company, Facebook contacts, let's say too, you know, so living in that kind of refinement, trying that and see what a, what a wonderful difference that makes in your life. Awesome. It feels like it's more consciously kind of curating what's around you rather than that. Just, yes. it's, this is how, <laughs> this is it who's works. around me. This is what it is. And just, yeah. 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 And also when you're buying your groceries, somebody sent me something this morning about what you can eat. That's not organic. I think a lot of people think, I think I'm one of them that all vegetables where you're not taking the skin off, but there's this huge list of veggies that you can eat and reserve your money there so that you can, you know, have it for the things that aren't as clean. And and I just thought how well that fit in with good company to have, to have that kind of discernment of what's okay, what's clean, what's good, what's nourishing versus what might be toxic. And just because it's there doesn't mean it needs to be. So, and I liked your word curating a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, as I said, I think we could talk around, you know, all of this kind of stuff forever. It's uh, it's so interesting, but I would love to hear your thoughts on my set questions. And uh, Madeleine hasn't seen these in advance, so it is going to be a completely... um, No, she wouldn't tell me. (laughs) I I used to send them to people. I don't know why I haven't been doing it. Maybe because I've changed my process of like, uh, I don't know. I think it's great because you'll get more spontaneous responses. Well, actually, I have before some people will write their answers in advance and then it feels a bit too like, oh, I'm like reading from a script. Whereas actually the the nature of a lot of them is like, what does this mean to you? What does it bring up? And if you've already, you know, yeah. So let's let's see. Let's see what comes up. Um, I can't wait. Yeah. So my first one is what brings you joy in your life? What brings me joy in my life is. Oh, this is going to sound so sappy. (laughs) It's the joy of others that I've been able to contribute to. You know, if I can help one little boy or girl's mommy or daddy not have to go the way of my daddy and me um, or anybody at all for that matter. I mean, I have lots of people who don't even have children either yet or not planning to or whatever. So it's not it's not only about that. When I when I was at um, working at Harvard Medical School, which I did for 13 years, and I I was asked to address the um, body of first year medical students, and I would always ask them to fall still, and they would. I thought, oh my god, you know, I just asked the first year medical class at Harvard Medical School to fall still, and they did. And I would see the calm come over their otherwise um, pretty tense faces and think how many lives these people are going to touch 
and I just touched them. I just brought them a moment of peace. I mean, that kind of, and also with my own children and my grandchildren and mm. just, um, and maybe some of your listeners will get something that will bring them some joy and peace. That brings me joy. Awesome. And so then the next one is sometimes similar, sometimes different. So we'll see is uh, what makes life meaningful for you? Oh yeah, that. <laughs> Sorry. That. No, no, it's, but it, I find it so interesting because sometimes people, it's the same. Sometimes it's different. Some people do like the inverse of each yeah. other, but it's so interesting. Yeah. I will say though, because of something you said, Hannah, you said that you'd rather talk than write. Hmm. Um, my, mine, I think really manifests more through the writing. Hmm. I, I, it's not that I mind talking, obviously. <laughs> obviously but I think in a vacuum I would sit quietly by myself and write remember that I was grounded most of my childhood for being what we used to call fresh mm-hmm. and what I did during those extended moments I used to write books I used to get construction paper and then you know I'd fold it and I had the big needle and yarn and I'd sew it up the middle and make a cover. And, you know, <laughs> so I think that's really a happy place for me um, to find and share my own meaning. Yeah. How things seem to me. Of course, you could tell I read a lot of how things seem to other people and like very much to share that with with everyone, too. Yeah. Essentially, I feel like mine's the, not the opposite, but a bit different that I feel like I was very socially anxious and quiet as a child. And I found with the podcast, it's like I found my voice and now I'm like, now I'm going to use it. And so I'll happily sit and talk to myself with the microphone and, and kind of record. And I guess it's that it's empowering because I've found that and I don't think and I don't think, oh, what are people going to say? I just kind of let it out. And uh, well, would you mind if I commend you on your manner which is so it's so clear Mm. and easy and you we have a concept called holding environment that's the environment that you create for people like me and your whole audience Mm. and you do a really beautiful job of that so I want to commend you and thank you Thank you. I think I do. Um, I've done some counseling training, not like, although yeah. I'm starting the the full, full thing soon, but coaching and like lots of volunteering. And I tend to get that for it when I've been observed coaching that it's very containing. So it's really nice to kind of hear it. And, and I feel that those experiences have improved my, my podcast interviews by bringing that in. And yeah, yeah 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 so thank you for that you Um, do have um you do have very nice polish (laughs) thanks you're welcome I think it's practice maybe but um I don't think it's natural (laughs) um so my we're still recording this is why I started recording to the cloud my laptop just crashed so just talking about polish and then technical issues (laughs) I know I was thinking that Yeah, so my next two questions are around our overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental well-being, mental wellness. And so the first one is, what does mental wellness mean to you? So 
always have a book or a study. So let me tell you about this book I read decades ago. And it put every mental illness, let's say, into an adaptive, an evolutionary adaptive strategy. It showed how the idea is that there are knobs and tunings that humans all have. We all have the same knobs, but some of us are turned up a little too much on one or turned down. So it showed how adaptive things like OCD, for example, which is this exquisite attention to the detail. It showed how every psychiatric syndrome was also derivative of an adaptive strategy. Mm -hmm. So not everyone likes to think about it this way. I think the trend more now is to try to label mental illness and destigmatize that. And I respect that, but I also think that it would be helpful if we all understood that we're peas in the pod, all trying to get through the day by nature and by nurture in the best ways we know how. And that for many people, not all, but for many people, it's just really helpful to get an awareness of what we might need to dial down a little bit or dial up a little bit, like you dialed up your voice and your presence so that you don't have to suffer feeling like there's something wrong with you that you may have been, let's say, I don't know, shy. Mm. And they have diagnoses for those kinds of things too. But you, you were able to dial up a little bit and you're fine. So I'm not sure that's, well, it didn't succinctly answer your question, but the idea to me is that we're all human. We're all doing the best we can. We're on a continuum. And most importantly, for most of us, we can actually move it. Yeah. yeah. Does that Thank work for an answer? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, and I, because I'm very much about the kind of destigmatizing, but I think actually, if you think of it as a continuum, that can be quite helpful that actually, yes, there's a certain point where we'll say it's a mental illness, but we're all somewhere on there. And so it's not so much like us and them kind of mentality. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so then my follow-up is for yourself, what you do to look after your own mental well-being. So how you move yourself around on the continuum, if you like. Okay. So I use that question that I like, is there something to be done here? I do not, as a rule, judge, and I hope other people try not to judge their feelings. I try to consider my feelings data. So if I find that I'm feeling off, something doesn't feel right, I will ask myself, is there something to be done here? Like, what is this? I find a lot of coaches these days, and oh my God, are there a lot of coaches these days? think that a, a bad feeling, let's say, is just something you need to move past. And I think we need to pause first because 
like somebody, a, a colleague is writing a book and she's very concerned about the disclosures that she has put in the book and the family's responses to it. And other people are telling her, you go girl, this is about you, not them. And if she were my client, we'd be pausing there to really give her a chance to consider what her feelings are trying to tell her. And since it's not too late, maybe she wants to revise some of it on behalf of the people she cares about and to um, preserve and protect her own sanity after her book is published. So I uh, take my feelings with respect and I meditate and I have three pieces of workout equipment in my living room of my 750 square foot flat. (laughs) There's that. And I try to eat well and enjoy my loved ones. And I don't know if, I don't know if you can see him. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Little rug rat. That's Raphael Leonardo. (laughs) Pets are amazing, aren't they? I just blogged on that. I just did a post on that. Did you? Yeah, because there's amazing, listen, listen to this. There's this amazing research. They had people who had pets with them. Then they had another group were just thinking about their pets. And then they had a third group that had no pets and were not thinking about their pets. And they found that the ones who had pets with them generated the most goals and had the most confidence that they would achieve them. And the ones who were thinking about their pets also, but not as much. And the petless ones generated far fewer goals and confidence in achieving them. I don't know who knows that. Who knows that? Well, now anyone who reads the post knows that because I get excited about those kinds of findings. Yeah. Maybe if I'm if I'm coaching people around goals, I'd be like, where's your pet? Bring your pet in. They need to be here for this. (laughs) You know, also knowing it, like knowing that this does that, I think makes it even more so Mm. like a placebo almost. Um, Just just and. And I had read studies much, much earlier, a while ago, about scaffolding. So when you feel like there is somebody there, and we were just talking about this, holding you, like somebody with you who has your back. I mean, it's hard to talk about him having my back, but whatever. Um, (laughs) People did perform better. They they had them uh, doing some mountain climbing thing. And the ones who, even in my book, I talk about Grandma Rose. And it turns out I never met the woman. She died before I was born. But she was a picture. She was a picture on top of my little TV set. TV sets used to be this big when I was little. And because I was in the house all the time, I used to have these imaginary conversations with her. And she was very supportive. She never said an unkind word. And she <laughs> she looked lovingly upon me all the time. And this study showed that the person whose support you felt didn't even need to be there, which in my case, she she wasn't. 
And it's the same thing with the dog study. So having a sort of um, significant supportive other on your shoulder, even if it's imaginary, it's helpful. It's amazing. Um, yeah, my next one is, um, and see what the first thing that pops to your mind is. How would you describe your mindset? Clean. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I've not had that one before. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then my favorite question to ask, this is the penultimate one, is um, if you have a top one to three tips that you could leave us with of things that we could try in our life that might have a big impact. I already gave you those. Grab the power breathing. That is amazing um, and so simple and so useful for all things. Again, number two our lives are a um, the sum total of the decisions we make. You want to make them from your higher brain and not your lower brain. So the power breathing, so the power breathing for the decision making. And then maybe I'll just uh, re-emphasize the good company. You deserve to have the very best, all of all of us. Um, and there's no reason to let um anything less than that in our lives if we can help it amazing thank you for those and then my final question is where people can connect with you if they want to find the resource the amazing resources you mentioned if they're interested in working with you where can we find you okay so i would love to hear from any of you at madelaineweiss.com my social media links are there, but I think the best way to get to me and to, to see the posts and to get the exercises is through there. And there's a book tab, if and also the book is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So that's Getting Too Great, Five-Step Strategy for um, Work and Life. It's based on science and stories. And again, there's a book tab there, or you could just go straight to Amazon for that and MadelaineWeiss.com. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you nice and easily okay. from there. And Madeline, it's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, Yeah. And we could have kept talking all afternoon. but <laughs> uh, Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much, Hannah. Welcome, you take care. Bye, everybody. So thanks again to Madeleine for joining us and for everything that she shared in this episode. Um, a couple of things that I want to mention super quickly, don't want to uh, keep you here too long. The three breaths uh, thing going for the calm definitely something I'm going to be remembering at the weekend at the wedding if it's stressful uh, with my social anxiety and all of that. I've got a challenge going on, uh, well, next week now. Uh, so if you are a parent of a teen or near teen, I have a free three-day challenge running on Facebook about preparing for positive conversations with your teen. So improving communication in a sort of nurturing way that leaves you feeling great, feel uh, feeling more connected to your child, but also being able to tackle maybe some of those uncomfortable conversations so um you can head over to the psyche coaching facebook page over there um and then there's uh, the subgroup preparing for positive conversations with your teen and you can also join our supporting your child's mental health group in there um although that i'm going to change the name at some point soon so um that's happening 
the other thing um, I wanted to give you a, a bit of a heads up about is a bit of a change to the podcast. So when we first started, we were once a week. And then I got a bit carried away with interviews. I recorded so many. And then I was like, oh, people are not going to be happy that it's like 18 months in advance. So we switched to twice a week, uh, which has been awesome. Um, And I think at the moment, I think with life things happening, with people, people having a lot going on, uh, the feedback we're getting is actually sometimes it's hard to keep up with two episodes a week. And also thinking about myself and life changes that are happening for me. Uh, I'm starting the counselling course that I mentioned in September and a lot of projects going on. So actually we're going to switch back to once a week. So you still have one episode a week um, of content, probably on the Monday, I think. So then you've got <laughs> you've got time to listen to it. I think we initially started on a Wednesday, but actually we're going to go for the the Monday episode coming out um, and just once a week so still the same quality same format but just less often so if you are catching up it'll be a bit easier um, if you are loving both a week I will be doing lives um, on Instagram stories on Facebook and more of that kind of thing as well uh, so you can catch me there but hopefully that's that sounds cool and is okay I, I don't want to um sacrifice the quality of the podcast and um you know trying to get through content and and all of that kind of stuff Uh, so this is going to be a change from the beginning of september so you'll still have uh, the two episodes through july and august um, but then from september we're going to go back down to once a week Uh, hopefully that makes sense and is is all good and i guess you know worst case it leaves you wanting more which is maybe better than you feeling like oh it's too much stop <laughs> stop releasing podcasts which hopefully you're not thinking um but yeah so that that's everything as i said i'm going to be doing more lives so if you are not following us on instagram uh, we are at psyche coaching p-s-y-k-h-e coaching or one word uh, also same on facebook twitter and we also have a psyche coaching youtube channel which to be honest there's not a huge amount on there's a couple when we've had like panel discussions you can watch those on there but i did do a video recently uh, answering some common or frequently asked mental health questions so you can check out my thoughts on those over there and i'm going to try and release more frequently maybe once a week just some random thoughts about something uh, probably mental well-being mental health related possibly about supporting young people with their mental health and like parents which is a bit of a kind of pivot in um my coaching and stuff that I do but anyway thank you so so much for listening for tuning in um I I don't know whether I say this often probably not often enough probably start saying more how much I really appreciate you for for tuning in for listening for giving your time to us today it really does mean a lot to me that you are here that you're showing up that you're listening and supporting the podcast and supporting me so thank you I am grateful for you all and yeah, that, that's it. Please do share the podcast if you uh, have anyone that you think would enjoy what we've got going on here. And we will be back on Wednesday with another episode. Until then, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.